Now, one of the things that's fun about uh, our celebration on Easter is that it's kind of like a family service. We do that once a month uh, here as our regular part of our worship. We have all the kids and youth group and all that stuff here gathered with us. But that's how Easter feels as well. So I invited somebody to come with me who works with our kiddos all the time. This is Alex. Welcome, Alex. Hi, everybody. Uh, He's one of the shepherd of our kids' ministries. And so if you're a kid that's in here, you probably recognize this dude. And I thought it might be fun to have you come and start us off today telling us a little bit about what Easter means to you and what it might mean to some of the kids that are here. Just kind of give us a sense of what stirs in your heart. Yeah, absolutely. When I was growing up, my dad was a senior pastor of our church. And so I got Easter because we sat through, heard about the resurrection, saw him, you know, (laughs) dying on the cross through pictures or whatever. And I remember thinking Easter is a long, long day as a pastor's kid. It was a day where we were at church the whole time. And so I always thought, man, this is, this is the marathon day. But then there was this story that happened to me that our family and my dad used as a sermon illustration many, many times that I thought put the gospel in perspective. So as Darren teaches later on, my hope is that for all our kids in the room and for everybody that we could take a step to zoom out and say we're separated from God. And it's through Jesus and his victory that we get to be with God. And so there's a story that my family has told for many, many years, and I'm going to share it with you guys. But before I got to set the scene, all right? So I want you guys to all imagine you're in beautiful Washington. I think I have a picture on the screen here. This is the Spokane River. It's beautiful, pristine. And I'm a third grader, ready for my first time. We had just moved to Spokane. And one of the things that we heard time and time again is you have to float the river. In order to get the sights of Spokane in, to fall in love with your new home, you have to float the river. So my dad loves outdoor activities. He buys him and my mom some kayaks. He gets us an inflatable canoe. I have two older brothers, and we set out. Now, this moment, I love adventure, but I also know I am not a strong swimmer. And at this point, we set off in the canoe, and I'm getting a little nervous. And my dad's like, don't worry, Alex. It's a really, really easy, lazy river float. And my brother, my oldest brother, you know, older brothers out there are so kind. He says, you're probably going to (laughs) die. And I thought, he's right. I'm a terrible swimmer. I was a small kid, small adult still. And I was just thinking, this is going to be the end. But it's a lazy river. So we have about 10, 15 minutes of a beautiful river float. Oh, look at that. Amazing. But the thing about Spokane is there are two rivers that have the same name. The big Spokane River and the little Spokane River. And the Little Spokane River is just the beautiful floats. That's where you get to see the sights. The Big Spokane River is where there's rapids. And there are whitewater rafting tours. And you have to be really experienced. And my dad, love him to death, a big researcher, apparently didn't think to look on the map and see which one we were going on. So we embark and we go around this bend. And my parents are ahead of us. Again, not like a caboose situation. They're just both storming into the river. And we round this corner, and we hear my dad go, oh, no. (laughs) And I remember thinking, this is it. This is the moment I was fearing. Travis, my older brother, was right. And I'm looking at him like, paddle backwards, Travis, paddle backwards. And I'm not paddling. I mean, I could barely reach the water at that point. I know as a third grader that seems impossible, but it was. Again, small, small third grader. So we come to this place where we're around the river, and I see these huge rapids. Yep. In my mind, those look pretty big, but uh, my imagination, they were way bigger. 10, 20, 30 times as big. And so we go to this part of the river, and it's chaos. We hit the rapids, and it's like we go down, we hit a rock. And my brothers like to say it was like slow motion, where I just shoot from the front of this inflatable canoe over their bodies. 
My middle brother flies to the side. My older brother's sinking with the ship. The paddles are gone. It's chaos. And I start going under the rapids, over the rapids, under the rapids, over the rapids. And if you ask your kids if they've ever heard me tell a story, there are many stories in my life where I think, this is it. As a third grader, I made it this far. It was a good run. But, I'm, but my life is ending. This is it. So I'm going. I'm on my last breath, and a hand reaches down and plucks me from this river and throws me onto the rock. And it's my oldest brother, Travis. He says, you're okay. You're okay. My parents are on the bank. He's like, from me to Darren. My dad looks at me, and he says, Alex, just swim over to me. I'm thinking, this man has lost his mind. All right? First, he took us. <laughs> To the Big Spokane River. Then he's looking at me saying, go back in the river that you nearly died in. And so I said, no, I'm going to live on this rock now. This is a good home. I'm happy here. <laughs> but he looks at my brother and he says, Travis, the only way he's going to get to me is if you throw him. And I'm thinking, like, I am small, but maybe not that small. Like, I'm not going back in that river. But my brother takes me and he launches me across this river. <laughs> my dad catches me. And as he's holding me and I'm crying and I'm like, you did this to me. And he's looking at me, and instead of a comforting word or like, a, it's okay, I got you now, he looks at me and he says, oh, this is going to be a good sermon illustration. <laughs> and I look at him, and I thought, this guy, never trusting him again. But he starts to explain the sermon illustration. Oh, think of the water and the separation. We're separated from God. And I turn, and I walked away. Just walked away, <laughs> stormed off. I didn't want to hear it. But throughout our years as a family, throughout my dad's time as a senior pastor, he would go back to the story. And it's actually a slide that we show our kids' ministry. It's a slide we show at VBSs because it was, despite all of my tears and, you know, hatred of the water for a while, it is such a perfect picture for this Easter Sunday for us to zoom out because we are separated from God. We're stuck in that river. We can't swim our way out. And it's only through Jesus's death and his resurrection that we get to be with God. And so I thought this would be a perfect chance for us as a congregation, for all these kids in here too, to just zoom out as Darren takes us a little bit deeper into the message. Dude, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that, Alex. We're going to continue our study on that note, but as we, uh, as we do so, I, I will say just kind of as a side note, it, it's a great privilege to get to work with dudes like that. We got so many great men and women on our staff serving Jesus on a regular basis. And some of you, you might never even know them or get to know them, but we, we are very blessed uh, with guys like Alex on our team. And I'm thankful to have him partner with me this morning. Well, our theme for Easter, you've probably seen it on the banner or the sign that's outside or on the website or the app or whatever. Our theme for Easter this year has been the idea of revive, the word revive, kind of see it everywhere. That's sort of been our emphasis. And the word revive essentially means to restore to life or to restore to consciousness or to restore to strength. So in the, in the place where there is a lack of life or in a place where there is no consciousness or in a place where there is no strength, the idea of being revived is to see those things restored, to see those things put back the way they go. And uh, as we look at the story of Easter, that, that makes perfect sense. I think we are all kind of people who love revival stories. And by revival stories, I don't mean stories about Billy Graham, although you, you might love stories about, you know, Billy Graham. But we like stories about restoration. We like to see the wrong put right. We like to see justice served. We like to see the broken mended. We like to see what's lost found. It's, it's, uh, it's why we like comeback stories. It's why we like underdog stories. I mean, if you've ever been into Rocky or if you were a Goonies fan or you like the Avengers or the Hunger Games, you like any of those films, they're essentially about 
revival, right? They are about someone who was weak or someone who was lost or someone who was broken coming back to be victorious. And we, we love those stories. My wife is a fan of, uh, I don't know if you've seen these, but the, the, the romance stories where the two people hate each other and then over time they fall in love. I don't know if you've seen those stories. I'm not as much into that. I, I kind of, uh, that's just not exactly my jam. I actually got hooked in the last couple of weeks. I, I just got over COVID. So talking about revival, I'm feeling it, right? But I got hooked during COVID on this show called The Doghouse. Have any of you seen that? It's a, it's a show out of England where there's a rescue shelter that has all these dogs. And the dogs all have kind of like kind of sad backstories. Some of them only have three legs and some of them only have one eye and some of them have been abandoned or hit by cars or whatever. And in this, in this rescue shelter, they not only take care of these dogs and restore them to life, but they match them with family. So these families come in and they tell their story. And some of them are people who are dealing with PTSD or they've deal, dealt with a breakup or they're dealing with cancer diagnosis or whatever. And they match these hurting dogs with these hurting people. And what you end up seeing is this sort of incredible restoration that happens. I sit on the couch and I watch the show about a dog shelter and I sob, right? I'm just weeping and crying with joy and happiness because we love stories of restoration. We like seeing what's broken put to right. When we look at the story of Jesus, the story of the resurrection of Christ, we've come here to celebrate today is certainly a story about things being brought back to life, about Christ himself being brought back to life. It says in Matthew 28, this is one of the tellings of the story in the gospels. It says in Matthew 28, one, now after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Jesus is revived. When we stand on our tiptoes this morning and we sing these songs of celebration, part of what we're celebrating is that Jesus was dead and is alive. That he was crucified on our behalf, but he is dead no longer. That the stone was rolled away and when the stone was rolled away, there was nobody in there. He had already risen from the dead and he was gone. The angel says, come in and take a look. He ain't there. We are celebrating the revival of Christ this morning. But we're not only celebrating the revival of Christ. That would be enough in some ways to celebrate that Jesus isn't dead, but that he's alive. But for the followers of Christ who've gathered in this church and churches like this around the world today, we're not just celebrating that something awesome happened to Jesus. We're not just gathered together to say, hey, isn't it so great that Jesus was dead and he is alive? We are saying that, but there's something more to our celebration. There's something deeper and even more personal. You see, the reason we like comeback stories, the reason we like underdog stories, the reason we like stories about restoration and revival is not just because we can see the need for the broken to be fixed in the world, or we can see the need for the lost to be found. We can see the need for the dead and dying to be restored. We certainly can see that externally. But there's also a part in each and every one of us that want restoration in us. We recognize our own weakness. 
We recognize the places where we're sort of losing consciousness emotionally and spiritually, and we want to be revived. We recognize in our lives the need for an underdog story. And so we watch those movies and we read those books and our hearts ache and the tears come because we too want to be restored. I remember even as a little kid, when I watched Return of the Jedi for the first time, right? If you've seen that movie, Return of the Jedi, uh, this is kind of embarrassing to admit, but I was so, so moved by the fact that there was like this kid from the farm on Tatooine who could rise up and defeat Darth Vader that I wanted some of that same revival in my own life, right? So I actually went, I don't know if you remember this from Return of the Jedi, but at the end of the movie, uh, Luke is wearing like a black long sleeve shirt with a weird square that kind of snaps on the front and then it unsnaps and he's wearing it kind of open. You know what I'm talking You can Google that later. Don't do it right now. What I ended up doing is going to my mom and saying, I want a shirt like Luke Skywalker. And of course they don't sell shirts like that because he's in space. And so uh, my mom actually ended up sewing a, a patch of fabric on the front of several of my t-shirts as like a fifth grader with snaps on it that had absolutely no function. It made no sense. Everyone who saw me thought, what's wrong with that kid's shirt? But I was identifying with the power of Luke Skywalker, right? I felt really proud of that. I looked for a picture of me wearing that. I couldn't find one. Whatever you're imagining, it's that bad, right? So whatever you're picturing in your head, it's worse than that. We not only feel the need for restoration and revival in our world, and I'm sure that having lived the, year, the years that we have in the last two or three, you feel the need for revival in our world. And I, and I don't just mean spiritual revival. I mean a restoration to life and consciousness and strength across the board. We don't just feel it in a corporate way. We feel it in an individual way. And so when I say, yes, we're celebrating that Jesus rose from the dead, but we're not only celebrating that Jesus rose from the dead, I don't want you to miss what we've already read in Romans 6, which tells us the second reason that we're celebrating this morning, not just because something great happened to Christ, but because of the great thing that happened to Christ, there is the opportunity for something great to happen in each and every one of our lives as well. The passage we read out of Romans 6 says this in verse 4, we were baptized therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If you're the kind of person who takes notes or you want to remember things, remember that phrase, walk in newness of life. It says here that if we are identified with Christ, our old life is dead like his life was dead and we have been resurrected and we have the ability to walk revived. That we have the ability to walk restored in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. It says here that, that we're not just singing and celebrating this morning that something great happened to Jesus 2,000 years ago, but that the part of the reason why we're standing to our feet to sing the songs we're singing and to gather the way we're gathering is that that very same resurrection life which brought Jesus from the dead, he has then offered and extended to us, all of us, who are sometimes hurting and sometimes lonely and sometimes ashamed and sometimes grieving, God has offered to us this same resurrection life so that we can walk in newness of life just like he was raised from the dead. The passage here talks about liberty. It talks about unity. It talks about freedom because what Jesus does for us is he sets us free from that sin. The Bible says that all of us are broken, that all of us are sinners, right? You hear that word a lot thrown around in church and sometimes it stops making sense. Sin isn't really that complicated, 
The idea of sin is just that God created us to know him and to love him and to worship him. And we don't do that. We don't do the thing we were built to do. We fail to glorify God in our thoughts, in our actions, in our attitudes towards one another. And the Bible calls that sin. And that sin separates us from him. It renders us spiritually dead. And that's not just something that happens to murderers or bank robbers or whatever. That's true for all of us. All of us have failed to do the thing that God created us to do. And because of that, there is spiritual death. There is separation from God. We've been studying Genesis together, right, uh, over the last many months. And the story of the Bible, as it begins in Genesis, is that God created man, and man was in harmony with God. Man was in communion with God. There was peace and shalom. Not only was man in communion with God, but man was in communion with other men, men and women. They, they were in fellowship with one another. So there's harmony between God and man. There's unity and oneness between God and man, man and woman, man, woman, God, and creation. There's this beautiful picture of unity and oneness. And yet what we see in Genesis as well is that sin enters the picture because of pride, because of selfishness. Man and woman, they chose to disobey God. And when that happens, there's a brokenness. A brokenness in communion between God and man, between man and woman, between God and man and woman and creation. And we're feeling that. We live in the midst of that brokenness, even in our world today. The consequence of sin, we still feel it. But the message of Easter, the reason we're celebrating is that in addition to something great happening to Jesus 2,000 years ago, Jesus comes to the earth. He takes our sin upon himself. The Bible says that he was a substitute. He died on the cross not because he deserved to or because he was tricked. Jesus wasn't murdered. No, you guys, Jesus went to the cross for a reason. He went there with a purpose. And his purpose was to restore us to oneness with him and one another. To recreate that unity. You know what we call that? We call it being revived. It's a restoration to consciousness, a restoration to life, a restoration to strength. Jesus came and died on the cross and he rose from the dead. The Bible teaches that then by his grace, not through works of righteousness, which we do. It's not through good deeds. It's not through, you know, compliance with rules. He extends to us the same resurrection life so that we can be made new, that we can be restored to life and consciousness and strength. I don't know about you, but that's worth celebrating. We celebrate today the fact that Jesus rose and extends to us the same resurrection life. And Jesus himself talks about this. John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. In John six forty, it says, Jesus says, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. The, the apostles write in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 14, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 22 says, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. What we're celebrating this morning is that something brilliant and beautiful happened to Christ 2,000 years ago, but we're also celebrating that we can be brought to resurrection life as well. And then additionally, what we see in this text in Romans 6 is that that resurrection life is not just something good that happened to us once when we were a kid. It's not just something good that happened to us once at an Easter service, say. But that that resurrection life is something we're called to walk in, right? We looked at Romans 6, 4 a second ago, and it says that if we are resurrected like him, then we will walk. That's an ongoing, progressive journey, walking in newness of life. So that doesn't just mean we're celebrating that God did something spectacular in your life once 100 years ago or once 50 years ago or once 20 minutes ago. It means that the gathering of God's people is intended to celebrate 
our ability by the power of God to walk progressively and in an ongoing way in resurrection life. That as the resurrection of Christ is revealed to us, then the resurrection of Christ becomes revealed in us. And as the resurrection of Christ becomes revealed in us, then all of a sudden the resurrection of Christ becomes revealed by us in the lives of the people that we work with and our neighbors and our friends and whatever. There is a call that any who believe can have this same resurrection life, can be revived, can be restored. What we're celebrating today is that that revival is available to anyone who believes. Jesus says it. Paul says it. John says it in John three sixteen, the most famous verse in the Bible, right? God says that he loves us so much. God loved the world so much that he gave the only son he had that anybody who believes in him won't perish, but instead will have resurrection life, will have eternal life. I'm, I'm guessing that like me, there are moments, whether you've had COVID or not, there are moments where you feel like you need a little bit of restoration, where you need a little bit of revival, where you need to be restored to life and to consciousness and to strength. The great news is that when we gather in this place, we do so to be inspired by the fact that that new life has already been paid for by Christ and extended to us and we get to walk in it. I think when people think about church, a lot of times they think of church as a place to come and be told how bad you are or how many wrong things you're doing. It feels very corrective. And that's why some people dodge church, right? Because it feels like I'm going to go there and there's going to be somebody that's going to get up and tell me all the things I've done wrong. Listen, you and I, we know we're broken. One of the reasons why I'm a Christian, people don't ask me this all the time, but one of the reasons why I'm a follower of Jesus is that Christianity is the only faith system on the planet that says, I can't do it. Every other faith system on the planet says, hey, you know what? Work harder, light a candle, say a prayer, do some good deeds, recite these mantras, and you can work your way up the ladder. But my understanding of my own life, when I look at my own life and when I look at the world around me, is that mankind is not getting better, that we're not achieving on our own effort, that we're, our striving isn't getting us anywhere. What we need is supernatural, external transformation. And the Bible is the only faith system on the world. Christianity is the only faith system in the world that says, you and we, we can't do it. We need a savior. That we need the power of Christ to bring us resurrection life. And so we're here celebrating this morning that yes, something beautiful happened to Jesus on that first Easter Sunday. But even as beautiful is that that resurrection life he extends to us and the resurrection life he extends to us isn't just for one moment, but it's for a life of walking in newness, a life of strength and consciousness and hope. I'd love to have you bow your heads with me this morning. And in in the room full of people, I know it's kind of tricky to get alone, but in this quiet place where it's just you and your heart, I'd love for you to just do a little bit of a self-diagnostic, a little bit of a personal inventory. I'd love for you to look into your own life and just ask yourself, have you ever believed in Christ to rescue you from sin and death? Maybe you've been in church for a long time. Maybe you've never been in church before today. That's not really the point. That's not really even what we're here to talk about. What we're here to talk about this morning is, has the resurrection power of Christ been received by you through belief in him? And if you're here this morning and you'd say, you know what? Yes, I have put my faith in Christ. Then I would invite you to be inspired by his resurrection power and to walk in newness of life. But if you're here this morning and you'd say, I've never put my faith in Christ. Well, then I would invite you to do that right where you sit. There's no magic prayer. There's no card to fill out. No class you got to sign up for. The Bible teaches that when we believe in Christ, we are saved. We are transformed by his power. If you're here this morning and you never put your faith in Christ, cry out to him in the quietness of your own heart. Say, Jesus, I am dead in my sin, 
And I want to put to death my old life and be raised to walk in newness of life through you. We believe that when you cry out to Christ, when you repent of your sin and turn to Jesus in that moment, he makes you new. And you don't just have resurrection life today on the 17th of April, but you'll have resurrection life on the 18th and the 19th and in 2023 and in 2033. And the ability to walk in a life that is revived and restored by the power of God, something you're not capable of doing yourself. If that's you and you've never put your faith in Christ, I invite you to cry out to him right where you sit. And we believe that in this moment, he will make you new. And then we invite you to be a part of this community where we are working every week to inspire one another to reveal Christ in an ongoing way. That's what the mission of the church is, to put Jesus on display in this world. God, I pray that you would stir in the hearts of those who are here. And if there are any sitting in the room this morning who have never put their faith in you, I pray, God, that you would draw them to yourself. We love you. And we need you and we can't live without you. And we thank you that the greatest comeback story, the greatest story of revival and restoration the world has ever known is the story of Christ, who not only rose from the dead himself, but then by his grace extends to us resurrection life as well. We praise you for it and we celebrate you today. We pray these things in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.